It's a bombshell Saturday part two. The CDC is a vaccine sales and marketing team, no matter what anybody tells you. FBI whistleblower resigns from the Bureau, warns Congress about the dangers of case quota system. And Fox News versus Dominion Discovery documents show Dominion employees admitting their products were riddled with critical bugs leading to incorrect results. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 347 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Saturday, February 18th, 2023. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure you check out our new conservative sports podcast, Red Pill Sports, with my friend Donnie Copeland. It drops Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central. Okay, let me start off with a special announcement about the future of the Doc Washburn Show. By the grace of God, we have been able to acquire top-of-the-line video equipment, and it is installed. Now all we need to make the transition from just audio to video is to bring in a couple of interns to help with video production, research, editing, social media outreach, to basically produce the show, and we can make the transition to video. If you know a young person who is conservative, trying to break into television, this would be the perfect opportunity to show what he can do. Have him or her contact us at our email address, contact at docwashburnshow.com. Okay, coming right up, the blockbuster about the CDC, the blockbuster about the FBI whistleblower warning that the FBI has a quota system for particular kinds of cases, and the blockbuster on the Fox News versus Dominion lawsuit that none of the media is talking about. And it is very damning. That is all coming up straight ahead on the Doc Washburn Show. Look, if you tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. 
including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to redriverauto.com, pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase your vehicle online. If you have any questions, one of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental USA, RedRiverAuto.com. You'll be glad you did. You know what? It is always an honor for me to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo? What about issues with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, migraines? None of that is fun. It is all deleterious to your overall health. The Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped a lot of people we know. Let me tell you how it works. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, or C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column could get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and it has never come back. I had terrible migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, the migraines went away, and they never came back. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, fibromyalgia, problems with your blood sugar, eczema, psoriasis, even migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation. They've helped me, they've helped my wife, and they've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the tab that says Find a Doctor Near You, and I sure hope you can. Now, as you've probably heard, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. Have you heard about the new development, MyPillow 2.0, the best pillow ever? He never thought he could improve on it, but he has. MyPillow 2.0 has a brand-new temperature-regulating technology to keep you comfortable throughout the night. A new fabric that dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a cooler surface temperature. The new fabric technology in MyPillow 2.0 helps regulate your body temperature through the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night sleep. You know, your core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. 
MyPillow 2.0 is developed to provide a cool surface and it's engineered for comfort. Because it's a fiber, not a finish, it'll last the life of the fabric. MyPillow 2.0 is available in four loft levels. It's machine washable and dryable. There's a 10-year warranty on it, 60-day money-back guarantee. Of course, it's made in the USA. And right now, if you use promo code DWS, MyPillow 2.0, brand new development, is available two for one. I tell you what, it is amazing. I recently started sleeping on MyPillow 2.0, as did my wife, and we just love them. Just like we love our Giza Dreams sheets which are available now for as low as twenty nine ninety eight. if you use the promo code DWS. Right now, set of pillowcases, only nine ninety eight. In this economy, instead of buying a new bed, rejuvenate your bed with a MyPillow mattress topper for as low as ninety nine ninety nine. MyPillow also has blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles, like plush, waffle, or gossamer, for as low as twenty nine ninety eight. Get huge discounts on duvets, quilts, down comforters, and so much more. Use that promo code DWS, and you'll get huge discounts on all my pillow bedding, including my pillow 2.0 and my pillow Giza Dreams sheets. Hey, what about those moccasins? I'm wearing my new my slippers moccasins. Even as we speak, I had no idea slippers could feel this good. Right now, save up to ninety dollars on my slippers, slip-ons, and moccasins, marked down to just forty-nine ninety-eight by using promo code DWS. Now remember. That promo code, DWS, that does not stand for washed-up Democrat politician Debbie Wasserman Schultz. No, no, no. It stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com and MyStore.com, where Mike sells all kinds of stuff. Quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices. So please order now. Just use promo code DWS. All right. Now, I told you that I'm going to tell you about how the CDC is a vaccine sales and marketing team, about the FBI whistleblower resigning and warning Congress about the dangers of the quota system on particular kinds of cases in the FBI, and about the Fox News versus Dominion discovery documents showing employees admitting their products were riddled with critical bugs leading to incorrect results. So let's get right to that. The great Raheem Kassam, over on his Substack, Raheem Kassam, uh, for a long time was the, the, the co-host, Steve Bannon, over at uh, War Room. And he's got the receipts. Dominion Voting Systems sued Fox News, and naturally all the media coverage was shrieking, OMG! Fox knew it wasn't true, but they lied. So you got CNN quoting from internal Fox News emails. Tucker Carlson saying stuff like Sidney Powell's lying, by the way. I caught her. It's insane. Laura Ingram responding, Sidney is a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy. Tucker saying it's unbelievably offensive to me. Our viewers are good people, and they believe it. Now, Raheem Kassam says, actually, I think we all remember Tucker Carlson grilling Sidney Powell. 
and the fact that the Fox News Network scarcely dipped a toe into any investigative work in the area. As their lawyers argued in response to Dominion, Fox's role, and you know what Dominion is. They, they make a lot of the, uh, the voting machines, the voting computers. I think they're in like 30 of the 50 states. As Fox News's lawyers argued in response to Dominion, Fox's role was limited, was limited to reporting to its viewers the claims and counterclaims surrounding the election. As an aside, the Fox filings, which Raheem links to, he says you can read in full here and here, it's 183 pages, also revealed that Dominion's $1.6 billion in claims are 42 times larger than what Staple Street Capital paid to acquire most of the company as recently as 2018. Staple Street has already made most of its money back, by the way, with Discovery revealing Dominion Projects revenues, Dominion projects revenues of $98 million for the year 2022. More galling, however, is the refusal of the media to cover the admissions that Fox found that Dominion employees themselves were not sure about the security of their own systems. Oh, really? Nobody wants to talk about that. He's got a screenshot. Page 15 of Fox's filing reveals fascinating discovery material. You know, I knew this was going to happen. I knew, I knew, I knew. When Dominion started suing media corporations, I said at the time, uh, discovery is going to be something else. Be careful what you ask for. Okay, from a screenshot from page 15 of Fox's filing, discovery in this case has revealed that Dominion's own employees expressed serious concerns about the security of its machines. Mark Beckstrand, a Dominion sales manager, confirmed that other parties, quote, have gotten a hold of Dominion's equipment illicitly, unquote, in the past. Really? Now, some of the most critical examples include quotes like this. Discovery in this case has revealed that Dominion's own employees expressed serious concerns about the security of its machines. Mark Beckstrand, a Dominion sales manager, confirmed that other parties have gotten a hold of Dominion's equipment illicitly in the past. Beckstrand identified specific instances in Georgia and North Carolina and testified that a Dominion machine was hacked, his words, not mine, was hacked in Michigan. Beckstrand confirmed that these security failures were, quote, reported about in the news, unquote. And just weeks before the 2020 presidential election, Dominion's Director of Product Strategy and Security, Eric Coomer, acknowledged in private that, quote, our vulgarity, deleted, is just riddled with bugs, unquote. Indeed, Coomer had been castigating 
Dominion's failures for years. In 2019, Coomer noted that, quote, our products suck, unquote. He lamented that almost all of Dominion's technological failings were, quote, due to our complete blank up in installation, unquote. See, Mr. Coomer liked to cuss a lot. In another instance, he identified a critical bug leading to incorrect results. That's a quote, critical bug leading to incorrect results. He went on to note, quote, it does not get much worse than that, unquote. And while many companies might have resolved their errors, Coomer lamented that, quote, we don't address our weaknesses effectively, unquote. Oh, my goodness. Raheem Kassam continues, these were recent messages, 2019 which don't just provide justification for a news network covering potential exploitation of voting machines, but are enough to warrant a wider investigation of Dominion, State Street Capital, and their products and services. Uh, yeah. But no mention of these details by most news networks over the last 36 hours. The Associated Press, as opposed to its credit put the following in their 10th paragraph on the story, quote, Fox lawyers also point to an email from October 30th, 2020, just days before the election, in which Dominion's Director of Product Strategy and Security complained that the company's products were just riddled with bugs, unquote. Raheem Kassam says, So long as Fox's corporate media competitors continue to take victory laps over filings their correspondents have clearly not read, nor reported accurately on, they will find themselves guilty of precisely what they want Fox fined $1.6 billion for, making routine editorial news decisions. This is wanton endangerment and disregard of a so-called free press and America's First Amendment. But then again, no one ever accused Oliver Darcy of believing in those things in the first place. Oh, now I'm going to have to look that up. Boy, that's a familiar name. Oliver Darcy. That is such a familiar name. Is he uh, CNN? What do you mean he doesn't have a Wikipedia page? Are you kidding me? Oh, so they mentioned him in other people's Wikipedia pages. Yeah, 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 he was CNN. Okay, fine, fine, enough of that. Enough of that. Okay, next, what is the deal with uh, FBI whistleblower resigning, warning Congress about the dangers of the Bureau's case quota system? Yeah, we got to take a look at that. John Solomon Justthenews.com has the receipts. An FBI whistleblower has divulged to Congress that the Bureau has created a case quota system that can incentivize agents to pursue frivolous cases or delay action on real crimes to attain statistical goals. Steve Friend, a special agent and former SWAT team member who blew the whistle on alleged civil liberties violations in the January 6th investigation, told Just the News 
on Thursday that he resigned from the Bureau this week and gave the House Judiciary Committee an extensive interview detailing his concerns about the politicization of criminal cases and the growing manipulation of investigations to attain statistical and budget goals. Friend said he made the decision to leave the Bureau after he had been denied a paycheck for 150 straight days as his security clearance was placed under review after he made protected whistleblower disclosures. The the denial of pay, he said, came even though he was never accused formally of any wrongdoing or subjected to any formal disciplinary action. Here's the quote from Steve Friend in an interview with John Solomon. He said, The FBI had weaponized the security clearance revocation process in order to essentially try to wait me out financially. You know, I was in a position where I had some personal savings and was able to survive, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm a married father of two small children. I have to support my family, unquote. Former FBI agent Steve Friend said he has accepted a job at a private nonprofit that will be conducting investigations of the FBI. He said, I just had to take that opportunity and, you know, continue my efforts to reform the FBI from the outside. Now, Steve Friend gained national attention last year when he filed whistleblower allegations that the FBI engaged in civil liberties violations against some January 6th defendants, like using SWAT teams unnecessarily to make arrests on nonviolent misdemeanor defendants. He acknowledged refusing to participate in some of the January 6th investigations in Florida because of his concerns. Steve Friend supports other whistleblowers who have gone to Congress, saying some cases were being opened on January 6th defendants simply to gin up statistics that would make it look like America has a more serious domestic terrorism problem than it does. He said he related his story to House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan's investigators on Wednesday. He told Just the News, quote, The crux of my contention with the January 6th case management practices is where we took one incident and opened separate cases for each individual who was alleged to have been involved at the Capitol that day, and then had them open cases around the country to generate this statistical narrative to make it look like domestic terrorism is on the rise and it's around the nation. And that's just simply not true, unquote. The FBI did not immediately respond to a request for comment Thursday, but previously the Bureau told JustTheNews.com that it, of course, follows a fair disciplinary Process. The FBI statement said, While we cannot comment on the specifics of personnel matters, all FBI employees understand that they are held to the highest standards because their work is critical to fulfilling our mission of protecting the American people and upholding the Constitution of the United States. Employees who don't carry out their responsibilities are held accountable through an objective administrative process. FBI employees who report evidence of wrongdoing through a protected disclosure are protected from retaliation. Such reporting supports the FBI's mission 
and is fully consistent with our core values, unquote. Of course, problematically, nobody believes him anymore. Former FBI agent Steve Friend said he spent significant time describing how the Bureau's case management system has essentially created a quota system for the crimes the FBI most wants to investigate. The Bureau's integrated program management system, quote, essentially involves the FBI setting metrics for itself, setting a quota, and pressuring its workforce to meet that quota, unquote. He said the danger is that agents might feel compelled to open up a case on flimsy evidence simply to meet a data goal. He said other times agents have been asked to delay opening a case to push the statistical reporting ahead into a new fiscal year. He explained, quoting again, another aspect of this that I think is worth noting is even if crimes are righteous and worthy of being investigated, the quota system incentivizes you to change your tempo of your investigation. I had a personal experience where I was told to delay indictments of subjects because we'd already met our quota for the year. We wanted those numbers to count to the next fiscal year, unquote. Former FBI agent Steve Friend said he also fears the Bureau's management is trying to impose liberal ideology, recounting an incident in which a female intern suddenly came in one day asking to be treated as a male, and agents were supposed to move along with that. He said, and I quote, In my experience, certainly within the ranks of the management and the leadership structure, the FBI tends to be a lot more politically left-leaning, unquote. Just thought you might want to know about that, that a guy who just resigned from the FBI as a matter of conscience is talking about how they have to meet quotas and they have to um, help develop a false narrative that conservatives, patriotic Americans, are somehow responsible for domestic terrorism. Really? Yep. All right, now, we got the story on the CDC. CDC is a vaccine sales and marketing team. And I think I owe somebody an, a big apology. Somebody was trying to tell me about that three years ago. And I'll, uh, I'll get to that momentarily. But first, have you heard recently in the news that AT&T has, has lost billions on the stock market? I wonder if it has anything to do with the company they own, DirecTV, which got rid of One American News last year and recently got rid of Newsmax practically overnight. A lot of people are like, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to give you any more money. I'm getting rid of DirecTV, and I'm changing cell phone carriers. I just can't deal with AT&T's foolishness anymore. So if you want to change cell phone carriers, if you want to stop pouring money down a hole to left-wing causes, which is what AT&T does and the other big mobile carriers I've got the perfect solution for you. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. 
Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patreon Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patreon Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. Patreon Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veterans and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. I'm saving money ever since I switched. And by the way, they have a coverage guarantee. Like I say, they have access to the same towers all the big carriers use, and they have a coverage guarantee for you. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of big mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment, religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. Just go to PatriotMobile.com. Yeah, do what I did. Just go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. You know, the great Ronald Reagan once said, inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals? I'll tell you what, i got five profound benefits. Number one, investing in precious metals is a hedge against inflation. Number two, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. That means precious metals are an asset, commodity, or currency that maintain their value without depreciating over the long haul. Last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. So we're honored to join forces with Beverly Hills Precious Metals and its owner, Andrew Sorcini. Now, Andrew has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. He and his team at Beverly Hills Precious Metals know the gold and silver business inside and out. After many years in the markets and collecting precious metals privately, Andrew Sorcini opened Beverly Hills Precious Metals in 2010 to bring precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. We found out about Andrew Sorcini and Beverly Hills Precious Metals from General Michael Flynn, and we are so glad we did. Andrew is a frequent guest on conservative podcasts. They've recently rolled out the new General Mike Flynn silver coin, which is selling like hotcakes. Beverly Hills Precious Metals is our gold buyer of choice. To learn more about Andrew and his team, go to bh-pm.com. The BH stands for Beverly Hills. The PM stands for Precious Metals. If you can't remember bh-pm.com, just go on the Internet and look up Beverly Hills Precious Metals. It's the first thing that comes up. Let them know Doc Washburn sent you. We're honored to be able to tell you about Beverly Hills Precious Metals in an effort to help you in your attempts to protect your family's finances, wealth, and investment bh-pm.com or just Google Beverly Hills Precious Metals and tell them Doc Washburn sent you. 
Now, I've been talking about how the world is going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, and sky-high gas prices, and woke corporations that stand against everything we believe in. We all know how the big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic, while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. The wealthiest people on earth became better off. While mom and pop businesses suffered, the question is, what are we willing to do about it? What can we do about it? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Switch to America.com is helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. That's why Switch to America was created. With regular folks like you and me in mind, one of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of Patreon influencers have come on board I'm inviting you to join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We're done with a woke globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made in America. The website is switchtoamerica.com. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. Now, an even more exciting addition is fresh American-raised beef. Raised in the mountains of Montana near Yellowstone, this beef is known as never ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive only to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. SwitchToAmerica.com is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Just go to SwitchToAmerica.com when it asks how you heard about us. Click on my name, Doc Washburn. Plug in your info and I'll have one of my guys contact you. SwitchToAmerica.com Okay, I want to go right to this over at the Substack called Check Your Work. Kelly Kay is bringing the receipts. The article is entitled, CDC is a vaccine sales and marketing team. And I owe a big apology to my brother Tom, who I have known since mom and dad brought him home from the hospital low those many years ago, who was trying to tell me this back in 2020, and I just I just couldn't wrap my mind around this possibility. So profuse apologies to my brother Tom about this. Here's what Kelly Kay says, an unfortunate truth that I've come to accept during COVID is that while I previously thought of the CDC as a group of scientists who investigate and respond to disease outbreaks, Much of what they do seems to be in the business of marketing and public relations efforts to facilitate vaccine sales. They may have convinced 
themselves and some others that their intentions are purely benevolent to help prevent disease. But their actions are that of an organization that repeatedly puts spin above science. Okay, first category here, pediatric death investigations. The earliest data we had about COVID indicated that children were at low risk from severe disease. It was the biggest blessing to me and kept me from ever worrying about my preteen daughter getting sick with COVID. When the first few pediatric deaths started being reported in the U.S., I thought the CDC would investigate child deaths in detail to determine what unusual circumstances led to the child's death. I compiled all the data I could on pediatric deaths in Georgia as they were reported. In 2020, pediatric COVID deaths in Georgia included a drowning, a severe car crash, an infant with serious medical conditions, and a child with a number of complex medical issues. I expected the CDC to look into these and other pediatric deaths in the U.S. to understand what, if any role, COVID played in their deaths. While older adults faced the highest risks, we owed it to children to do everything possible to understand how COVID affected children and how to keep them healthy and safe. For that reason, it seemed obvious to me that investigating rare pediatric deaths would be an important role for the CDC to inform parents and pediatricians about any known risk factors and provide guidance for caring for sick children. To my surprise, at the time, those investigations never happened. The CDC was never interested in detailed investigations of pediatric deaths to determine the actual underlying cause of death versus contributing factors or incidental findings. Next, next category, lack of data on infants and COVID. In the Omicron era, we've seen a higher COVID hospitalization rate among infants, and it would be nice if the CDC would provide some details about infants who were being hospitalized with COVID, helping us to understand what infants were at higher risk and why. Internal CDC emails obtained by the Epoch Times via a FOIA request revealed some interesting discussion about this issue in June 2022. A researcher with the National Institute of Health reached out to the CDC to ask if they had any data on COVID infections in infants less than six months of age. She asked some excellent questions about who was most at risk, comorbidities, source of infections, etc. And she's got a screenshot of this email. And she highlights the part that says, are there higher risk groups within the zero to six month age group for severe disease? Are all of the deaths following transmission after pregnancy or are some considered related to congenital infection? Are these primarily previously healthy infants with community exposure or do a high proportion have other comorbidities, etc.? So, this was an email 
from Christina Cardamil, Medical Officer, CDR, United States Public Health Service, Division of Microbiology and Infectious Diseases, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIH, in Rockville, Maryland, and she sent it to David A. Siegel at the CDC. You know, I should know that name. Okay, of course. He's a doctor, a pediatric hematologist, oncologist, and a commander in the commissioned corps of the U.S. Public Health Service. He joined the CDC as an epidemic intelligence service officer in the Division of Cancer Prevention and Control back in 2016. Okay. So how did that go? Well, the Substack article says, Dr. Fleming Dutra, Catherine E. Fleming Dutra of the CDC replied back the next day, letting the researcher, Christina Cardamil from the NIH, know that she had collected some data for this age group, but not yet systematically because their current vaccine push was for children six months and older. She added that the next pediatric considerations will be around infants less than six months. Oh. And look what Moderna is working on now. Vaccines for infants three to five months of age. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence that the CDC specifically called out the high rate of hospitalizations for babies under six months at a recent VRB pack, Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee. And, of course, they got to meet every once in a while. They are positioning themselves to promote a vaccine for younger infants next. And so we have a tweet here from a guy named Alexander Tin, reporter over at CBS News, who says, Moderna's Riduparna Das, that's actually somebody's name, and their Baby Cove COVID-19 vaccine study is using an eight-week interval to align with routine shots. Quote, we're going to select a dose and then we'll get into the placebo control part of the study, unquote. I think they're probably going to kill some babies myself, but, you know, what do I know? Next category in the article, misleading data on children and COVID. For more examples of CDC data coming out just in time to support the latest round of vaccination approvals, an MMWR was released June 4th, 2021, along with an emotional plea about troubling data from Dr. Rochelle Walensky just after the vaccine was approved for 12 to 15-year-olds. I wrote a thread on it at the time because it was a very coordinated and manipulative messaging. By the way, MMWR, of course, stands for Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. So at the time, and this was June 4th, 2021, at the time, Kelly Kay's thread said, and I quote, There's so much wrong with today's CDC report on adolescent hospitalizations with COVID that it took me a while to organize my thoughts. At first, I didn't even know where to begin. It's pure propaganda. First, there was a fearful teaser yesterday from CDC Director Walensky, like her 
impending doom video. It was absurd and over-the-top and completely misrepresented the available data. Okay, well, let's see what Rochelle Walensky actually said. In the month leading up to the recommendations of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccines for teens and adolescents 12 and older, CDC observed troubling data regarding the hospitalizations of adolescents with COVID-19. More concerning were the number of adolescents admitted to the hospital who required treatment in the intensive care unit with mechanical ventilation. Tomorrow, we will publish a report on this topic with more details in CDC's Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. And it is these findings with this, within this publication, one that demonstrates the level of severe disease, even among youth, that are preventable, that force us to redouble our motivation to get our adolescents and young adults vaccinated. Last month, FDA authorized and CDC recommended a safe and effective vaccine for COVID-19 that can be used in adolescents to prevent disease and hospitalization. I strongly encourage parents to get their teens vaccinated as I did mine. So I wonder how many uh, people, people hospitals have killed by putting them on ventilators. I wonder how many uh, teenagers and young adults have dropped dead from the uh, serious negative reactions to the vaccines that that woman was pushing. Anyway, back to uh, Kelly Kay's thread on Twitter in June 4th, 2021. She says, in March through April of 2021, adolescent hospitalizations increased. That's true. But hospitalizations increased for all age groups during the spring surge and started dropping right after the study period ended on April 24th. The study uses data from COVID-net hospitals, which covers about 10% of the country, 14 states, 99 counties. And she has a graph. She says, here are COVID hospitalizations from COVID-net for 12 to 17 years old, with April 24th marked where they ended the study. Cases and hospitalizations have been dropping since. To put these numbers in perspective, here are the hospitalization trends for those 12 through 17 compared to some other age groups. We do that, 12 to 17 line is barely visible on the same scale of hospitalizations per 100,000 people. The study also analyzed adolescent COVID hospitalizations from January through March, which includes the winter peak in January. 45% were found to be for a reason other than COVID. Psychological, obstetric, surgery, trauma, which is consistent with other studies. So the rates above are way overstated. The study also tries to compare COVID hospitalization rates with flu hospitalization rates from the past three years, but flu hospitalizations are not overstated like COVID because we don't test all people we admit for the flu. Flu season also only lasts three to four months, but they included seven months in their comparison, October through March, which includes the fall, winter, spring, COVID peaks across the country. Finally, the CDC tried to highlight that almost one-third of those hospitalized with COVID as a primary reason were admitted to the ICU, and 5% needed ventilators, but but these are small percentages of small numbers. The study appears as nothing more than a pathetic attempt to increase fear in parents about the risks to children 
despite the actual risks being very small. The media ran with teen hospitalizations increasing, headlines, and laughed off in April, exactly as planned. Wow. So, back to Kelly Kay's Substack article. She says, they tried a similar campaign in the fall of 2021, two weeks before they authorized the vaccine for children aged 5 through 11, saying that hospitalization rates for children ages 5 through 11 were the highest ever. But hospitalizations had actually peaked a month prior for this age group and other age groups as a result of the Delta wave in August through September 2021. And hospitalization rates for children ages 0 to 4 were actually higher than ages 5 to 11, but they didn't have a vaccine for that age group yet, so the younger kids were not part of their messaging at that time. Next category. COVID as a leading cause of death in children? She says, when it was time to authorize vaccines for ages six months to five years, the CDC put marketing above science once again by relying on a flawed preprint from the UK about COVID being a leading cause of death in children in the US. This incorrect data was repeatedly presented in slides by the CDC during both the VRB pack and the ACIP meetings. This age group is at generally low risk for severe COVID, but like magic, CDC found a study by a team they partnered with before that they could use to show COVID was a top five leading cause of death in that age group, but it actually wasn't. More on the final version of that study here, and she has a, a link to that. The CDC is, of course, capable of querying their own database to determine this ranking, and in fact, did that when requesting approval for the vaccine for ages 5 to 11. It showed COVID tied for ninth place, even when comparing COVID multiple cause deaths to other underlying causes of death. But initial efficacy data on the vaccine in the youngest ages, under 5, wasn't great. And I think CDC knew this. They knew this age group would require more effort to get full buy-in with the vaccine advisory boards and the public, so they found a study that would help them sell the idea that COVID was a big risk for children under five. It didn't matter to them that the data was exaggerated. They knew, as you can see in the footnote, that this ranking was based on cumulative deaths you know, from over two years with COVID, but it compared to other underlying causes of death from a single year. When I exposed the flaws in the study and the CDC's use of it, the CDC never replied to me or made any kind of statement acknowledging the errors. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky even cited the flawed top five claim in a White House COVID briefing after the flaws were identified. When the study authors contacted the CDC with a revised preprint, the CDC apologized to the study authors for the negative attention. The negative publicity mattered more to them than the fact that the data was incorrect. The preprint had served its purpose, and the updated data wasn't of any interest to them anymore. I emailed the CDC repeatedly to get them to update the ACIP website where the top five claim remained. 
after almost three full months, they finally made a change to the website and noted the revised data. By the way, ACIP stands for Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, just so you know. Next category, COVID hospitalizations and flu. She says, as I discussed in a previous article, the CDC also promoted a misleading study comparing flu and COVID hospitalizations and further misrepresented the findings to make the flu seem worse than COVID. And now in the most recent flu season, they found themselves disappointed that people aren't taking flu more seriously and getting kids vaccinated for influenza. According to the latest death certificate data from the CDC, more children died this winter with influenza listed on their death certificates, 129, than COVID, 82. One of the major issues with CDC hospitalization data in the study and in most other reporting from CDC is that the numbers include all hospitalizations with a positive COVID test, which does not allow experts or the public to see how many hospitalizations are actually the result of COVID versus incidental. They've been pressed on this repeatedly by members of the Vaccine Advisory Committee and others, but continue to report misleading and exaggerated hospitalization rates. And here she has one of her own tweets embedded. She's responding to uh, Jessica Adams over the FDA, who said, VRB pack, Meissner asks if CDC can decipher hospitalizations because of COVID from hospitalizations that are just with COVID. CDC says it's not broken out in the usual CDC surveillance, but other publications address those concerns. Meister wants it incorporated in the CDC rates, to which Kelly Kay says it is shameful. This is from January 26th this year. It is shameful that the CDC continues to cite COVID hospitalization rates that they know are exaggerated due to incidental hospitalizations when COVID-net collects reason for admission. She said they also lump 18 to 49-year-olds together when 18 to 24-year-olds are very different from 40-somethings. Yes, they do, and yes, they are. Next category in the Substack article, myocarditis signals. Kelly Kay says the CDC also put fears about vaccine hesitancy above concerning data about vaccine safety. By April 2021, Israel noticed a myocarditis signal in young men. They contacted other public health leaders around the world with this data, and several articles were written about it at the time. Those who were paying attention to vaccine safety concerns were aware of it. Meanwhile, CDC Director Walensky stated on April 27, 2021, that the CDC saw no myocarditis signal in the U.S. data, even while admitting that the Department of Defense was investigating 14 cases of myocarditis among soldiers. And a review of VAERS data, VAERS Vaccine Adverse Effects Reporting System, a review of VAERS data, in April, by a Military.com journalist, found data consistent with what we now know from multiple studies to be true about myocarditis after vaccination, most common in young men, usually after the second dose, and more common with Moderna. 
Yet the CDC was claiming they saw no signal at all. April 27, 2021, Rochelle Walensky, quote, We have not seen a signal, and we have actually looked intentionally for the signal in the over 200 million doses we've given, unquote. So I guess she gets paid to lie like everybody else in the Biden administration, right? But I digress. Three weeks later, a CDC press release acknowledged there had been some reports of myocarditis in teen boys and young men within four days after the second dose of mRNA vaccination. But the same announcement still claimed these reports were within background rates. Of course, this made no sense, considering it was higher than after Johnson & Johnson vaccination and higher after dose two than dose one. These statements sound like they came from a PR firm instead of a science agency, as we now know. Further studies from many different sources confirmed the myocarditis risk was much higher than the CDC initially indicated. However, CDC still continues to recommend boosters for young men. It wasn't until February 2022 the CDC quietly adjusted their recommendations to suggest potentially spacing out doses for young men. But despite knowing there are higher rates of myocarditis after Moderna vaccination, they never recommended Pfizer over Moderna for young men, as many other countries have done. And the CDC continues to spend money on programs designed to increase vaccination rates among college students instead of discouraging mandates in this age group. In order to hide myocarditis risks, the CDC also routinely obscures the risk-benefit for vaccination in this age group by ignoring age stratification of both COVID and the vaccine. When they do stratify rates by age, they often group 18 to 49-year-olds in the same bucket. When the risks from COVID are much higher for 40-somethings than 18 to 24-year-olds, who are at high risk of vaccine myocarditis and yet are often subject to college vaccination mandates. Next category, natural infection. Bet you heard about that, haven't you? Finally, the most recent news out this week is that The Lancet came out with a systematic review and meta-analysis of studies about natural immunity, which showed that the protection against severe disease was high for all variants after infection and, in fact, was stronger and more long-lasting than the protection afforded by vaccination. Previously, the CDC and others in public health did their best to downplay the role of natural immunity and question its effectiveness touting that the vaccine offered better protection. When the CDC released an MMWR showing natural infection provided better immunity than vaccination during Omicron, their conclusion was that vaccines are still better and that we just needed more boosters. In October 2021, Fauci, Walensky, and others met with four outside advisors with expertise in vaccines and immunology to discuss whether the U.S. should recognize natural infection in lieu of one or two vaccine doses. 
Their advisors were divided on this issue, and the government sided with Peter Hotez and Akiko Iwasaki, who said we should not trust immunity from infection. This was the basis for many vaccine mandates in previously infected people, which had a host of downstream consequences. Workers lost their jobs. Oh, how well I know. But I digress. Young people blocked from attending many colleges. Kids barred from extracurricular activities. Visitors banned from entering the United States. Okay, here's a summary. Time and time again, the CDC has shown their efforts are focused around generating data and publishing claims that will support vaccine sales. Their work is done in pursuit of marketing graphics instead of factual information. Their primary goal has just been to produce data and reports that will help sell vaccines. This is most easily seen in their approach to children and young people throughout the pandemic. They have not been curious about determining who is most at risk or why. The CDC has only researched and promoted pediatric COVID data that will help them sell the vaccine advisory committees and the general public on vaccine recommendations. They have downplayed myocarditis risks over and over again and taken almost no action to reduce the risk to young men. In the absence of a vaccine campaign they need to promote, the CDC seemingly has little interest in researching COVID in children and young people. And now we have additional evidence that they've been lying about natural immunity so that it wouldn't disrupt their vaccine campaign or interfere with vaccine mandates imposed by both government and private institutions. This is not an organization which is trying to relay factual information to experts and the public. They are a marketing organization desperate to sell COVID vaccines. Well, I tell you what, that's a great article. That's an article from uh, the great Kelly Kay over at Substack entitled CDC is a vaccine sales and marketing team. Now, i got to share this with you. Dr. Joseph Ladapo, Surgeon General of the state of Florida, recently tweeted out, Florida saw a 1,700% increase in adverse event reports after COVID-19 vaccinations. Does that sound safe and effective? I didn't think so either. That's why we released this health report. Wow, that is very troubling in a sense. But in another sense, God bless him. God bless him for saying it because he links to this health report. Florida Department of Health. Florida Surgeon General has notified the health care sector and the public of a substantial increase in VAERS reports, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, from Florida including for life-threatening conditions. Yeah, I wonder if you tried to post that on Facebook, if they would, like, uh, ban you or if they would just uh, throttle you, shadow ban you. It's right here, floridahealth.gov. Health alert on mRNA COVID-19 vaccine safety. Have you heard anybody talking about that on Fox News or Talk radio? I didn't think so. See, what we try to do here is 
bring you the stories that you're just not going to get anywhere else. And I really appreciate all of your support. I appreciate the patrons who, along with our advertisers, make it possible for us to do what we do. Okay, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. And it's brought to you by Red River Auto, the big car dealership in the middle of the USA. The beliefs in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. And today's tweet of the day, it's a thread of three little tweets. Fellow, uh, fellow named Mike Riccardi, who is a pastor, and he's quoting from John Newton. Didn't John Newton write Amazing Grace? I believe he did. And says, For mercies countless as the sands, which daily I receive. From Jesus, my Redeemer's hands, my soul, what canst thou give? Alas, from such a heart as mine, what can I bring him forth? My best is stained and dyed with sin. My all is nothing worth. Yet this acknowledgement I'll make for all he has bestowed. Salvation's sacred cup I'll take and call upon my God. The best return for one like me, so wretched and so poor, is from his gifts to draw a plea and ask him still for more. I cannot serve him as I ought. No works have I to boast. Yet would I glory in the thought that I shall owe him most. Wow. That's from John Newton. And I guess it's probably lyrics to one of the hymns that he uh, he wrote other than Amazing Grace. He is noted for being author of the hymns Amazing Grace and Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. Well, I know the one, but I certainly don't know the other one. Sounds like I could uh, benefit from looking into the other things that he has written. Boy, ain't that the truth. All right, you've been listening to episode 347 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us. Our email address is contact at docwashburnshow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X, Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability, 
for the Doc Washburn Show. And that's the way it is. Saturday, February 18th, 2023.